0: Got twenty minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study.
1: Jesus, name above all names, I worship you, Jesus, worthy to be praised. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Andy Balog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Thanks for joining us. You know, the Bible
2: teaches that every human being has two natures. There's the old nature, the fallen nature of Adam, and then there's this new nature that we receive as Christians. It's the perfect nature of Jesus Christ. Sometimes these two natures are referred to as the flesh nature and the spirit nature. And simply what this means is that,
1: in a sense, Christians are bipolar. That's an interesting way to put it, Andy. Uh, But, you know, you're right in that sense that the Bible also teaches us that what we must do to keep the new nature in control of the old nature, because if we don't, there will be a great penalty to pay. Now, it might seem odd to say that Christians are
2: bipolar, so let's just dive into Scripture and see what God can teach us regarding this conflict.
1: All right, so join us now. Please open your Bible to the book of Galatians and get ready for another 20-minute Bible study.
0: reading from the letter to the Galatians in the New Living Translation, chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise.
1: With an open mind and an open heart, we seek to take out of the Bible what God has put into it, and that means it's time to go to space.
2: Okay, so space is just an acronym that reminds us to identify the S P A and C, which means the speaker, audience, and context, before we attempt an E or explanation. Now the speaker today is the Apostle Paul. Paul claims authorship in chapter 1, verse 1 of this book, and we know he even wrote this letter himself as opposed to dictating it. And that's only because in the last chapter, in verse 11, we read him say, quote, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand, end quote. So moving on, the audience is the churches of Galatia. Now Paul addresses them directly in the opening of the letter, and something to keep in mind for today's study. If Paul is writing to churches, then he is writing to people who are already saved.
1: Yeah, and as for the C, the context for the entire letter is Paul disputing a false doctrine, or heresy, that the Galatians had started to accept. He wants to remind them of the correct doctrine, the true gospel, that he originally shared with them when he planted these churches. And to support this understanding of our context, let's hear some verses from previous
0: chapters in the letter. An additional reading from Galatians, going back to the first chapter and beginning in verse 6. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Skipping to verse 9, I say again, what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. And skipping to verse 11, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation From Jesus Christ.
1: So, Andy, what is Paul talking about here when he says, a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news?
2: Well, Jordan, that's the million dollar question today. So, when reading the entire letter to the Galatians, we find that Paul is making an argument against the distorted version of the true gospel that he first introduced to them. Now, this distortion was the teaching that Christians, even though saved by grace, are still under the law of the Old Testament, and that, hear this, that they could lose their salvation if they did not obey the rules of the Old Testament. Now, truly, this was just a fear tactic, and it's often used today in some churches. Let's remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8-9, to nine, which simply teaches us that our salvation is by grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. So getting back to the point, this distortion exists today through the teaching of what people call Arminian theology. Now, I pulled this quote out of the 2023 Encyclopedia Britannica recently, and when defining Arminianism, it says, it is a theological movement in Protestant Christianity that arose as a liberal reaction to the Calvinistic doctrine of predestination. The movement began early in the 17th century and asserted that God's sovereignty and human free will are compatible. That's the end quote. So Arminians believe that God's authority is limited to man's choices. But then I, I, I come up with this question. How does that belief keep with God being sovereign? Well, it just simply doesn't. So as a result, this belief system leads to their biggest flaw that a Christian's salvation is conditional to their works. And also that a Christian can forfeit their salvation and then one day end up into the lake of fire.
1: Yeah, and we've uh, dealt with that doctrine before. So let's, um, let's take that one on again. Uh, we've covered the speaker. We've covered the audience and the context. So we're ready to continue reading and attempt an explanation. The S, P, A, and C are done. We're ready to move on to the E. And let's begin by breaking down what we've already heard. Paul begins by saying, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? And it's important to keep in mind here that Paul was a scholar of Jewish law, a highly educated man who was training to be a member of the High Jewish Council or Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin, uh, before Christ chose him as an apostle. So he understood the law better than most people would and any any Galatian would uh, who might have been, you know, virtue signaling about how holy they were as a Jewish person. That
2: is true. So moving on, Paul reminds his audience that the scriptures say that Father Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife, representing a human attempt to fulfill God's promise to Abraham, and one from his freeborn wife, which is God's own fulfillment of his own promise. So Paul is unlocking a
1: type here that was in plain sight in the Hebrew Bible. Okay, so let's continue now with our scripture reading, turning again to Galatians chapter 4 and picking up in verse
0: 24. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them.
2: So the word illustration here in the Greek is actually the word allegorio. Allegorio. It's how... Where we get the word allegory from in English, which simply just means a story which, when studied carefully, reveals a hidden meaning.
0: And now, Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law.
1: All right, so a quick comment here. Paul's establishing the reality of the earthly Jerusalem, which he will then contrast with the original intent and spirit of Jerusalem.
0: But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother.
2: Here we see Sarah as a type or figure to represent she who gave birth to our spiritual nature, whereas Hagar is used as the type to the birth of our fleshly nature. So moving on, let's skip now to verse 28.
0: And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise just like Isaac, but you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit.
1: So here Paul equates the adding of the Gentiles to Isaac, the child of promise, and in doing so he emphasizes faith over works.
0: But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son.
1: This is a strong rejection of the Judaizers' idea that the rituals and the rules of the law were necessary to please God. After our Lord's finished work on the cross had been done, he's saying here that to inherit the promises and not be cast out, these believers needed to cast off the bondage of that law, not embrace it.
2: Okay, Jordan, so considering this whole passage now, we see that Paul's expressing that Christians in God's eyes are not children of a slave woman, but they're children of a free woman. And though the slave woman's nature still dwells inside of us in every Christian, we should not allow it to dominate that new free nature that we were blessed with when we got saved. We see that Hagar gave birth to Ishmael via Abraham by the desire of their own flesh. And inversely, Sarah gave birth to Isaac via Abraham by the Spirit. So the focal point for today's study needs to be on verse 30. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. And the key phrase there is shall not be an heir. So I have a question for you, Jordan. What is God trying to teach us today through these two different types?
1: I think one thing that jumps out at me, Andy, is you know this idea of salvation by legalism, you know, by the law, legalism. And we still kind of have that thought or that idea in the church today. And it's a key part of this false doctrine that says that we have to be in constant fear that we're going to lose our salvation. You know, in typology, those who maintain that works such as rituals and rules are essential for salvation are like the children of Hagar here but those who believe in a secure salvation are like the children of Sarah. And Paul explains this in Galatians 2.16 when he writes that, uh, quote, man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, adding, quote, even we who have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. And later on, he rebukes his audience for even considering this false idea, writing in Galatians 3, 1-3, You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And this is more than just foolishness. You know, we should take careful note of Paul's warning to his beloved brethren. He says that Christians who believe they are still under the law and must maintain the law to be saved will not have an opportunity to receive the promised inheritance. The Bible itself teaches us that Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the bondwoman, even though he was technically the firstborn son of Abraham, was cast out of the land of promise. God gave the inheritance to Isaac, son of Sarah, the free woman, instead. Yeah, those are great points, Jordan. Very well
2: said. So now getting back to understanding the two natures, we must first realize that all Christians have these two natures. However, the lost man, keep in mind, only has one nature, and that's the old nature, because he's not saved yet. Hopefully he will be. So you could say that he sins and loves doing it with the hopes he doesn't get caught and thrown into jail. So again, Christians have two natures. He has the old nature that wants to pull him into the world and the new nature, which is from God, that wants him to walk in righteousness. And consequently, these two natures are fighting inside the Christians at all times. And this is why we as Christians often have a hard time dealing with issues in our lives. But keep in mind, that's by God's design. He is sovereign. He knows exactly what we go through.
1: Yeah, and that's because, you know, the the spirit part of us seeks the things of the Lord and the sin-corrupted soul seeks the things of the world and often wants it right now. Speaking of Isaac, we see this with his sons, Jacob and Esau, and we've talked about this typology before as well. You know, when they were teenagers, Esau, the older son, came home from a long day of hunting and he wanted his fleshly needs met right then and there, even at the expense of losing his inheritance, which had been reserved for him he was supposed to receive a double portion inheritance according to the you know the laws of those times upon their upon their father's death and then he traded it away just for some food for a, a measly pot of stew and this is a, a great lesson for christians because we have to be careful not to give up future rewards for the fleeting desires of the old nature and in this case uh, typified by hunger and there are many different hungers that could cause us to do that so you know I think to hear more about this um, and this danger of letting the old flesh dominate the new spirit nature, we can move ahead and continue reading in the next chapter from our scripture reading.
0: A final reading from Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under any obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word.
2: Here, I'd like us to focus on the words, have crucified. And we see that, those words in verse 24. Now, let me say it's of first importance to note that this verse is not speaking about our salvation. As per the original Greek, the word is staurao. Staurao. Now, we find that this verb is not in the perfect tense. Now, you might ask, well, what's the perfect tense, Andy? I'm not an expert, and neither am I. I looked it up. So the perfect tense means it's a one-time event that shows a completed act, okay? So no, rather this verb is in the aorist tense. Now, I don't expect you to know what the aorist tense is either, because it doesn't even exist in the English language. But God used Greek, and for good purpose and good reason, and in definition, the aorist tense basically means without regard for past, present, or future time. In other words, it means outside of time or just continually, continually. So the better Greek translation for this word is continually crucifying, okay? So now, making the, the effort to notice this minute difference changes the complete meaning of verse 24. So in my words, it would be best read, quote, now those who belong to Christ Jesus are continually crucifying the flesh, the old nature with its passions and desires. And reading this verse the correct way, we get a better understanding for God's teachings regarding our two natures.
1: Yeah, overall, these verses do an amazing job of describing various traits of our two natures, right? Um, And they should also inspire us to maintain a deeper insight into our own hearts. They should convict us and raise questions. You know, are we being led by the flesh or are we being led by the Spirit? And it's important that we judge ourselves in this way because of the warning that's in verse 21. Those who practice the works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice it doesn't say, will not receive salvation and everlasting life. It's talking about our future inheritance. Yeah, Jordan, that's exactly the point today.
2: You know, this future inheritance is also spoken of by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, which reads, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. So we all know true love takes sacrifice. And this verse should encourage hope for every Christian and provide the fuel necessary for fighting that good fight. Christians should know that we can come to the point of defeating the old flesh nature by learning to give ourselves over To the control of christ jesus and being obedient to his word revelations chapter two through three speaks of this in the letters to the churches look it up it's there and jesus says those who trust and faithfully submit to the new spiritual nature are called overcomers there
1: yes so in light of today's teaching we should read those scriptures while keeping in mind there is a great future reward for christians who overcome this world of course we know from personal experience that it isn't easy. Becoming a strong spiritual person doesn't happen overnight. It takes years of growth in God's Word, uh, spiritual maturity. It's really a process of relinquishing slowly more and more of our old selves, our old nature to Christ. Amen. I agree 100%, Jordan. And this yielding process
2: begins with a deeper, a deeper understanding of His Word, understanding the Bible for what it really says. Not just the milk teachings, but also the meat teachings. And of course, we need to learn the differences between those two and feed on both. Remember Hebrews chapter 5 through chapter 6 details the differences of these two teachings, the milk and the meat. And I'll read it quickly. 5.12 to begin says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Or in the King James, you will read meat. Verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Verse 14, but solid food or meat is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And then we get into Hebrews chapter six, verse one. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Verse 2, of instructions about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. So there you have it. As the writer in Hebrews is instructing, let us feed on the milk And the meat of the word and press on to being mature Christians, overcoming our old fleshly nature with the love of Christ by our new spirit nature. Remember, Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 24 that no one can serve two masters, but rather we should lay up spiritual treasures in heaven in order to one day enter Christ Jesus's millennial kingdom. And these treasures are what we produce every day in our spirit nature led life.
1: That's 20 minutes, and that's our lesson.
2: Do you want to listen to this Bible study again? It's easy. Just go to 20mbs.org. That's the number 20, followed by the letters mbs.org. On the website, you can also subscribe and have these lessons automatically delivered to your inbox.
1: Once again, that's 20mbs.org. We believe there's a special blessing for those who help others receive God's Word. We invite you to join us in this mission. The best way is simply to share a 20-minute Bible study with a friend. But if you feel called to go further, we welcome you to visit 20mbs.org and click donate. Any amount of money you give will be received with thanksgiving. And we pledge that every cent will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more Bible studies like the one you heard today. Once again, just visit the website
0: and click donate. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli. And until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Observed Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.